Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Thomas Koch has seen a lot of dance floors over the last 25 years, and he's taken them in from a number of vantage points. After falling hard for disco and hip-hop as a young man in Frankfurt, he went wild for house music in the late 80s, due in no small part to Sven Vaith, whose Omen Club quickly became a home away from home. Koch would go on to found a handful of dance music institutions, the seminal German magazine Groove, which he edited and published for the better part of 15 years, plus the Get Physical label and the Frankfurt nightclub Monza. But the ritual of the dance was both his first and greatest love. When I caught up with the man known to most as DJT, I found him embracing it with newfound vigor. He's in the midst of compiling seminal tracks from his first two and a half decades as a professional DJ, but he's also devoting himself to his records and his studio in a way he hasn't been able to before. So though you'll hear plenty of discussion of DJT's past here, you'll sense he isn't hanging up his headphones anytime soon. So I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about your early musical education. You got started earlier than probably a lot of people who are in the game right now. What was some of the first music that that really captivated you? Um, that 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 passion to to also collect music was was actually starting very early. That was starting in the age of seven, eight, nine, when I was was attracted by the first um, songs in the radio and I was starting to ask my parents what is this what is that and that was actually the 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 prime time of disco when it became really commercial and when it was um, yeah every day in the German radio and it was was uh, of course rather the cheesy stuff that first uh, came came through to me um, and I can remember that um, one of the first uh, songs or bands that that um, got my attention was ABBA, Bonnie M, and um, I forced my parents to start buying me all the long players and um, singles and also the first disco compilations. And um, I can remember that I was uh, listening on the compact uh, thing that was in the living room, um, something that included radio, a record player and a tape deck. So it was spending um, hours and hours and complete days to, to listen to these uh, first vinyls I got. And um, so first it was the whole universe of pop I could get through the radio and um, disco stuff. And then pretty 
quickly actually um uh it, it was uh going to black music the first hip-hop stuff the really early stuff that started in 80 81 uh, with grandmaster flash and stuff and this uh was in a way my first uh the first music i got specialized in because um from 82 83 on I was really interested in all this, this, the soundtrack of the breakdance movement. And yeah, I and read the, that that yeah. you were a breakdancer. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. That started '83 when I saw breakdancing for the first time in the in German TV. Um, maybe you know a guy called Thomas Gottschalk. He's one of the most famous German um, showmasters, and he was very famous uh, to to be the presenter of. Um, yeah probably the 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 most successful tv show in all europe it was going over decades it was called wet and dust in 83 he he was uh, presenting another show that was called um nasovas and he presented the first time breakdancing in that show i saw that and directly after the the show i was standing in front of the mirror and trying the moves you know the next day i told my mother you have to get me the gloves and then <laughs> yeah and you were in Frankfurt at this time, um, correct? Yeah. Was there yeah. was there much of a culture for this in Frankfurt? Yeah, actually, um, especially for that culture. I mean, I was too young to to go to clubs and stuff. Um, I was 13, 14, 15 in my main t time of dancing. But uh, culture-wise, it was one of the best um, places to be because um, in and all around Frankfurt, there were these, these um, um, big 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 stations for the GIs you know where they were stationed and and um, there were a lot of um, clubs for the GIs um, and I also started to go to these clubs um, as soon as I was was uh, yeah, I was old enough was that your way into DJing um, no the, the DJing was a natural consequence of my passion for 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 dancing and for for music and for collecting vinyl. So one day when I, it was in the year 85, and I had the first pitchable uh, record players in my hand, I I, um, I had two records of Cool and the Gang on both players. And um, I directly, instinctively started to, to, to playing around with them and, and to, to bring it this far that I beat matched them or like synchronized them. And um, that that moment, having the first two records in my life synchronized and listening to the synchronized beats for like a few minutes because it was perfectly synchronized, was like, wow, that's that's a moment, you know. That's uh, was probably leading more far than than I could know at that time. Your early experiment, your early experiments in DJing were sort of in a hip hop style, then. Yes, exactly. Um, um, when I was throwing my first parties, which was also very early when I was around 17. And also the first club where I threw parties in Frankfurt. Um, I mainly played like danceable black music and, 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 and a bit of early dance stuff and a bit of pop, but, but mainly black stuff. And, um, and that was soul, um, funk, hip hop. And um, the initiation, uh, the initiation for 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 straight beats and for house music, and that came actually in the summer of '88 when the Omen Club 
opened where Sven Fate opened his first um, club and and I was um, first managing to 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 get entry to these clubs and um, then there was a big change because that was the summer of Asset House and that um, vibe directly got me and then I changed actually um, within a year from black music to to European uh, yeah to, to straight beats and house music and then it needed two or three more years till the techno explosion started but uh, yeah that was a really really exciting time yeah speaking about acid house my understanding is that Sven Veith and the the Omen Club really had just a massive effect on the scene in Frankfurt that that music was just huge there yeah it was by that time it was mainly two two cities in Germany where it was happening I mean um it was already Berlin and it's still Berlin, but, but at that time it was, Frankfurt was somehow, um, um, yeah, through the international airport also and, and um, the big train station and through, um, through so many early activists that were pushing the thing. There were also the guys called um, Münzing and Schilotti, the producer team that produced Snap. Um, they got involved with, with uh, Sven already and they were also involved in the Omen Club and um, it was, um, yeah, I mean, Sven was, was a key, a key um, figure in that, in that time in Frankfurt and he stayed for a long time and everybody was, was looking up to him and um, so he was very, very inspiring with his work. And uh, um, also for me, because um, probably I c could say if he wouldn't been there opening that club where I was um, going from the first weekend, like every weekend for years, um, probably I wouldn't have started uh, the Groove magazine because he was my main, the club, he and he has a DJ was mainly influencing me in my own DJ style and and bringing the sound to me, which which became the the, the main topic for the magazine. Um, I'm curious about about Omen. I mean, what was the scene like in that club in the early days? Frankfurt was was um, you had guys like like um, Schüler and Presinger. They were they were the the two guys they were inspired by the studio 54 and um having having this experience uh in new york in mind they were opening this this very famous um club at the frankfurt airport and also in the city of frankfurt it was compared to berlin for example it was a much more posh um scene and and um and it was was uh slightly different music approach because it was um for example new romantic uh stuff was very very um um popular in the clubs in frankfurt in the middle of the 80s and to the late 80s and also sven fate was 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 coming from that culture in his early ages and um so it was um that 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 city in frankfurt you know was so small and in the same time trying to be a metropole like the the city of the center is just two square kilometers uh, maybe in that um, area in that coordinate system you had so many people who were 
trying to come into the clubs and and uh, like um, yeah also people uh, yeah with a lot of money because Frankfurt that that time was already a place where we're also in the suburbs of Frankfurt there were a lot of people with um, yeah with with um, higher income and and so you had this 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 um, kind of clientele that was a bit more um looking and behaving like the jet set like mm -hmm. the old jet set disco clientele you know what was yeah. still around in the late 80s and which you don't uh see anymore besides maybe um on ibiza or maybe in some in some big big discos in, in north italy uh in rimini or in somewhere there you know or, or maybe in greece also in some greek islands that's maybe the last <laughs> Uh, spots on earth where you can can still um catch this this vibe that actually is still there from the late 70s when the the the, the jet set disco was 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 in you know sure yeah. and and it sounds like the bottom line mm. is it it couldn't have been any different than the scene in berlin at that time yeah it was so different it was the people here were more coming from from punk and stuff you know mm -hmm. yeah. now that uh that you're you know, also a DJ of a certain stature uh, is, do you know Sven very well? Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, the scene in Frankfurt was so small, you know, and I was always in that in that circle of people in Frankfurt that started everything. They were all really close together through the whole 90s. We were traveling together to love parades, to street parades in Zurich or... Um, a lot of times we were just 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 traveling with Sven to his first gigs abroad, you know, or in Germany, and um, I was a um, I was a um, how do you say like a, a regular guest I'm at the Omen between '88 and '95. I guess I was there every weekend, <laughs> and um, still till its closing, and and yeah, I got I. I saw all the transformations that Sven were going through over the years, you know. Mm -hmm. You went through a sort of transformation of your own. Um, how did you take your, your interest in music and convert it into sort of being a music journalist? That was um, kind of a coincidence. Um, when I look back in my life, I had, I had a few moments when when there was a when there was a big change introducing itself just in a few seconds do you know what i mean it was um and it was that moment when my father bought a computer for for his work for the first time and we were he was telling me about that and in a and in a moment he was asking me by the way um if you want to use the computer for something you could you could ar archive your vinyl on that or you could list your music uh, if you want and in that moment when he was saying that it sounds very strange but in the next second i knew i have to do a magazine because um i was already there was already a magazine i was uh, really into that was the network press maybe you heard of that one and that that was um that was the first um, magazine in Germany that was specialized on dance music. It had also um, a focus on Afro-American black stuff, but but um, 
the early house stuff was also happening there and that was the first magazine that i saw in my life that, that was featuring dj charts and also um charts from from clubs and it was just a few ones just uh between the three and five ones in every magazine but um somehow i realized which importance and which impact charts would have be in the future so the basic thought that i directly had for the magazine was to make a, a pure chart magazine that was the basic thought but then of course um let it grow in my mind um and then then before um i i uh, really released the first issue of course there was um i had found one or two guys who were writing some some stuff that was happening in and around frankfurt so it was in a first first period first phase it was um just distributed in in the bigger area of frankfurt and like the service um sections um, of the magazine um were mainly presenting stuff that was happening in and around frankfurt like like the dates in the clubs and and the programmation of the clubs and the programmation of the radio um stations in frankfurt and but the first issues like 80% or something like that was just charts from dj's and um and record shops what um, when did it start to kind of take a turn and become sort of more of the magazine that it is now with lots of articles and features regular columns stuff like that like the first um important uh move was was to when i realized um electronic music is 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 the is the thing in the moment and there's so much happening in that field that it needs um the whole capacity of the magazine to to reflect that and of course that was also my own um development where i was going to um leaving um the field of afro um, of afro american music and going to 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 house and the first techno stuff so that was between 92 and 93 when when we dropped um the rest of the dance world completely just to focus on on electronic music and um that was the first uh, transformation and then over the next two three years between 93 and 96 it became we expanded the 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 um territories of the distribution i started to print more more pieces and um till i finally ended up um having 100,000 printed distributing in in all german speaking areas including um switzerland austria and a bit of holland you uh, you said that at some point you realized that electronic music was the thing this was the big thing yeah. of the moment was there an artist or a dj or, or even a record that kind of made that crystallize in your mind it was more my own experiences on the dance floor like like um at that time i was was the most passionate dancer i still am but i don't don't um get to dance 
so often nowadays and so intensively but but at that time uh, you could found me every every week and night for at least six seven hours on the dance floor and these experiences um of that energy that was just what what completely caught me yeah so groove was really kind of your main thing i guess during a lot of that time um were you were also still djing though Yes, I mean, in a way, it was growing over my head, and um, and um, and that that you have this expression, positive stress and negative stress. That was always a positive stress because I was somehow there was this this um, I always had this this um, this impulse in me to just um, give this music uh, the best and biggest possible platform because there was so much believing in it and um and then later much later um when when there was the first um down in the german economy which was um that's a jump now like like um 10 12 years later um which was between 2000 and 2001 um then the last three years were really difficult because because um um, it was not possible anymore to finance um, a magazine that was just financed by the advertisement. Till that um, time, we never, um, I never took took something for the magazine itself. It wasn't sold. So, um, and then all the companies were cutting the budgets for advertisement. Like within just just six nine months, um, there was a. There was a decrease of of like like thirty forty percent was impossible to to um, to react fast enough you know so in the final um, fight battle period of keeping the magazine alive there were over one and a half years we were throwing a lot of benefit parties to keep the magazine alive that was actually for me that was the the most beautiful thing I could get back from the scene because there was so much love and so much support of all the people who knew that that um, how important that magazine was for the the infrastructure of the whole scene and how much it had done for for the German uh, scene especially and but still um, yeah finally uh, in 2004 I had to sell it then because it was just impossible to 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 finance it and then there was in the end there was just a choice between getting completely ruined and that that all the editors and the rest of the staff would lose their jobs and and the baby would die or 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 sell it and give it to to somebody who can hopefully um keep it alive and and it's still there and i'm uh, really happy about that even with almost exactly the same uh the same stuff that I handed it over with, yeah. Do you do you miss not having that involvement in the magazine anymore? No, when I was um, actually seen from now, I'm that was the best thing that could happen. So in that time, I was doing too many projects, too much multitasking at the same time, and it made me sick in a way because I was working day and night. I was. Um, doing the magazine, I was doing um, a club in Frankfurt called Monza. I was uh, doing a weekly uh, techno um, event in Frankfurt. Besides, 
the club. I was doing a weekly radio show with the Groove magazine on uh, the biggest um, radio station in Frankfurt. I was doing a lot of merchandise. I even um, was daring to go in that field of publishing a comic book with Hotze, this 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 um, this um, guy from these famous painters, you know, that, mm -hmm. that uh, they were releasing uh, some more of these books meanwhile. And um, so I was doing all that at the same time and still DJing and throwing parties. And so for three years in a row, I was definitely going over my over my substance like yeah, yeah. well I, I know earlier when i when i mentioned that the, the yeah. magazine was sort of your main yeah. gig I, I i was speaking pretty loosely i mean you were doing so much during yeah. that time but it sounds like it all stemmed from sort of the same impulse which is to support this music exactly yeah and by the way um i sold it in 2004 and in 2002 we had already founded the label so that was additionally so in these two years it was it was just killing me the amount of uh projects you know so it was it was just uh in, in a way it saved my life because if 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 um there wouldn't have been a higher power which was the situation in the german economy mm. which had forced me to sell the magazine i would probably still do it and would never have got the chance to um, um, give everything into the label and into my DJ career and my productions and stuff. You know? mm. yeah. During the uh, during the years when you were at Groove, though, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the benefit shows kind of to keep this thing going. Yeah. But um, was there were there were there some highlights from that time? Was there something um, a project that you worked on with Groove that that really sticks with you? I mean, we did. We did. Uh, for example, um, also club tours um, through Europe, not only through the, um, I mean, mainly through the countries where where the magazine was distributed um, to, but also sometimes in some other countries. And um, these club tours were, um, were amazingly successful. And um, I can remember we, we booked uh, Daft Punk for the first time um to germany um during one of these club tours and um, i mean i have always done um parties with the groove magazine since since the first anniversary party where i can remember i invited westbam to frankfurt and um i've probably if i count everything together um all all bigger and smaller events i did with groove magazine all, all the parties of the club tours all the weekly techno events and all the nights we had in monza and the two monza clubs during uh, three four years i have probably promoted four or five hundred party nights uh, in my life it's it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not something yeah. that that a lot of magazine editors and, and publishers could say yeah <laughs> Let's jump ahead then. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Get Physical. Um, started in 2002. Uh, what were the beginnings of the label like? How did you guys get started? Um, there was th there was this this dinner when um, the Mandy guys had just become friends and they they had just actually started their their DJ activities. They were throwing um, 
little parties in Frankfurt and 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 they haven't to this time they haven't produced anything and they were yeah we were sitting together at a dinner and there were already five people like the two guys from Bukashade one other guy that um, used to work with the Bukashade guys f since a long time they were like um, running studios together and yeah the two Mandy guys so these five already had the plan to start the label because they kind of everybody coming from different angles and um, fields of the music biz everybody of them had the feeling they wanted to reset in a way and start um, more 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 in a more self-controlled way to release music and um, not to depend on people they would work for or the Bukashet guys were were for many years before they were working more in the commercial field of electronic music and were like kind of producing on request from the majors and stuff and they had the feeling they they have to get out of that and they want to um just just have the full control through doing an own label and i also want um wanted to reset in a way but in the moment when we had that dinner and the mandy guys were telling me about their plans and they were asking me hey could you imagine because we have the feeling there's a there's a gap in the still in this group of people there could be somebody to 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 fill the gap a six person um that could maybe um bring in a, a certain kind of um network and knowledge that they wouldn't have expected would uh, never have expected that i could be the person because in that moment they knew that my headline was um, reducing work reducing projects um, getting away from the madness and um, so they were just asking for my advice do you know somebody and in that second talking about the big moments in the life that was another of these moments because in a few seconds i realized this is the circle is closing from like 15 years before because in the end of the 80s i was already trying to produce music and to make a label but i i failed um for many reasons and also because i had to focus on the magazine then and um and then in that moment i realized that's wow this chance is coming back 15 years later and um i have to grab that that thing you know and and I said, yes, I'm the one. And they were like, what? You? And they were probably thrilled. Yeah, they were totally happy and thrilled. But at the same time, they didn't want to believe because they knew my situation. But I was like, I, I have to do that. I have to be part of it. What musically were you guys looking to achieve with the label? Or, or was that not even kind of, was that not even coming into play at that moment? There wasn't... A master plan it was m more the opposite it was 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 uh for me for example when i was go going in the studio for the almost the first time in my life because there was only one experience before when i did one release with uh, steve buck in the very early period of uh, poker flat which was a 10 inch uh, it was called monster bass and it was a really uh weird whack um, electro track but it's still played and loved by by so many djs it's uh funny that this um 
and you can still hear this track from time to time in the clubs but then um by that time when i did that with uh, steve i thought that would remain my only experience and the only vinyl with my name on it but then get physical started and then i could could start producing with walter and he was uh, from Bukeshade, and at that that time he was completely out of that underground scene and the many guys and me we were kind of teaching him that 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 uh yeah what has happened in the underground of electronic music the years before and he was already more connected to it in the early 90s but then he somehow lost it and then yeah we had all these sessions where we were playing music for him for hours to to bring it closer to him and he was really fast learning um um what it was about and um then when i had the first chance to really extensively uh um work in the studio with him there was naturally coming the wish to work on my early musical socialization which was um disco and and funk and soul and hip-hop and especially electro funk and i don't know if you know my early productions among get physical they all had this vibe and some people still still tell me it's still the red line of my productions that, that there's this this certain feelings of groove well and this uh, sort of has been the, yeah. the the kind of the sound signature of get physical all along i mean it's it's very contemporary music yeah but at the same time there there is a little bit of a nod to kind of an earlier time on the yeah. dance floor yeah um yeah was, was that it was that a history that you shared with uh, with the other guys yeah i mean um when when um there was there was there was a label sound and that was why we were um probably why we why it was striking so quickly for us then um and 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 um exploding for us and in 2005 we were elected everywhere as the label of the year and stuff because in the early years there was a there was a compact label sound that was um received from the outside as as a as a statement like like you would find these statements um the, the last two years done by labels like hot creations or so but that vanished later and we consciously decided to to um not stay a, a label that's that's focusing on one style because um also because for example philip had from mandy had this background he had worked as an a and r um of major labels for many years before and we all had so many different routes and the range of music we liked was simply so so wide that and also at the same time the vision for for the business side of the of the label you could say was yeah let's let's try to become something like a small indie for dance for for electronic dance music that's just releasing everything what we like and what's yeah what's edgy in a way so probably of all labels in that field yeah the last five six eight seven years the range of music was probably wider than at every other uh, comparable label and um that was of course naturally the reason why 
people couldn't identify anymore in the same way with the label like before because um it's 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 understandable that many people always need um need um brands or djs um that always stay doing the same sound or music like a a very limited thing they are specialized in so the people can always know what to expect somehow can irritate um people when when you get unpredictable you know and it's true yeah, yeah. i i get the sense though that, yeah. that you feel like there maybe is something that ties it all together um as as kind of far and wide as the label sound might be i mean what what is that sort of center of gravity with get physical um no it was really just 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 what i already said a, a mutual vision to to release everything what is edgy in a way in dance music and electronic music but but um as you know um it doesn't have the same structure anymore the label was going through a lot of transitions um smaller and bigger ones to last three four years i left the label as a co-owner also the two bookershade guys left the label um so the first three years were magical because it was all um, magically coming together and somehow um, the visions of all six were were fitting together. And then it was was um, um, after 2006, seven, it started to to go in totally different directions, like the m musical tastes, the belief how to um, run s such a company and it was exploding the structure has exploded you know we were sitting there with 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 10 people suddenly and um suddenly we had this this we felt this pressure to to generate to generate income all the time because there were these high fixed costs you know it's interesting it um it seems like kind of your first big project groove magazine yeah and get physical they both kind of became unwieldy in a way it became difficult to yes. to sort of make keep both of them going yes. yeah um has has this been the sort of the, the most difficult thing that you've always that you've that you've continued to run up against is um it's very um fun and easy to kind of start a project that's that's all about the music but then they get very big and it becomes hard to keep it all about the music yeah that's a really strong experience in my life yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean there was there were there were parallels and there were um also like like um, significant differences in these two projects i mean I mean the first project in the groove magazine i was in full control and in the second project i was a bit suffering because i wasn't um and um i had the a bit naive hope in the beginning that i could focus on the creative part um and i got i saw myself more and more drawn into the business part again so in a way i was putting my hands again on the hot plate this the same hot plate because i was um i let it happen that i was 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 uh, drawn into the business part more and more because i'm a really responsible person and i can't can't uh see something um how do you say like driving against the wall like like right, um, right. so um and 
that was uh, reaching a high level of suffering again, finding myself caught in that in, in these in this work for the label. And at the same time, I was losing a bit my my artist career. And then there was a final moment when I decided I have I have to make this cut. I have to get out of it. And um, that was in the end of 2010. At the same time, the Bukashe guys decided that because they simply um, couldn't 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 spend any of their capacity uh, in the company anymore, and um, were focusing totally on their on their exploding life act um, thing and musical career. And 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 uh, Philip decided then to stay the main guy, to be the main person in the business. And yeah, meanwhile, there's completely new stuff and new partners and new man uh, kind of managing director. And um, the last two, three years was 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 the try and it was pretty successful and I have respect for that to 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 shrink the structures down to survive like everybody was trying to survive in that business sure. just with releasing music you know and um so now it's kind of reset and um yeah do like you still have any involvement with get physical yes i i am um, in the first moment um i have to admit i was like uh, yes let me close this door completely and um make a radical cut but then i I really quickly realized um, Philip and me, we we have this friendship and um, and um, what surprised me myself in a way was my was the passion that had grown for the A and R work because I was A and Ring uh, for many years already till that moment more on the side of the twelve inches and Philip was always a bit more into the long player and compilation field i was also for example the one who got the idea that we need a second um imprint to to focus a bit more on on my vision of of um minimal house music that was kindish then so i was completely um in charge of that label for the first years too and i was also had the idea to find get digital as the digital sister platform of the label and um, I was also managing that mainly with the release uh, in, in the first years yeah and then I handed all this over um, um, to, to new guys and um, actually after a while where I just just needed a bit more distance to the whole thing emotionally and geographically and um, uh, then I discovered that I still love the NR thing and all these like hundreds of people worldwide were still continuing to send me their music and I simply couldn't resist to feedback it. <laughs> it's that's just me, you know, uh, somebody because I knew how it was for me in the early days when I produced my first stuff and was having the first demos in my hand and didn't know where to send that, where to go with that stuff and um, had a lack of network and, and, and of contacts. And, um, and then I sent the first demos to some 
to some um, to some companies and I never got a feedback and that was an uh, an experience that still stays in my mind how 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 hard it is for somebody who puts who's starting to produce music and to DJ and to puts all his passion and love and heart into the stuff and then he sends it away and and I know that it's understandable the most like 90% of the labels can't feedback any demos mm -hmm. since years um simply, there's just too much music coming in it's simply you need to pay somebody to do the job you know and there's no money to pay this job and there's no time to to listen to hundreds and thousands of demos per week or month and um so um the most releases on all the labels of that field are generated through personal contacts um so you meet somebody of the label you meet one of the key persons and then you maybe you are a dj at the night and he listens to you and he you get his attention and then you can can personally hand over a cd or get get the email of the person and send them music and then then you have a chance but if you send it to to office uh, to to demos at blah 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 you will you will never get an answer it's sad And at my time, when I, when I was still an houring, I really tried for a while to feedback everybody. <laughs> What's that process like? I mean, I was, I was, I was trying to find a concept that was that was the least time-consuming. So of course, I had some standard verbalizations to send it to the people. I could. It was not possible to to write a new. A complete individual email for everybody so i had this standard verbalizations i dropped it in and but still i was like trying to write one ind individual sentence to everybody like to to um give him the feeling that i really um yeah checked it out and 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 can maybe say say some like give one essential advice what you could do better or something you know were yeah. there was there a demo that that ever did come through just kind of in your time in A&R, uh, not necessarily from a personal connection, but something that you just heard during this process of listening to all these demos. At that time, when I was still listening to everything that there, there worked, uh, I mean, the, 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 the extract, like the, the percentage, what made it was probably uh, around 0.0, yeah, whatever. But um, I can remember... Once Thomas Schumacher had f secretly founded the, the project M Electrochemie, and the very first single, um, he sent it without like just um, Electrochemie, and he didn't write who he is, and um, he consciously made that decision not to uh, tell the people where it's coming from. And I heard that, and I directly heard the the quality and um i was after the first minute listening to it i was sure um, we have to release it and then i found out it's somebody uh, 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 well known you know yeah it was with jonah the guy from belgium it was the same we listened to his first demos and we took him for the label i, I can't remember but um, at that time there were a lot of people achieving releases through that 
process. Although I just told the story that it was hard, but um, I mean, nowadays, nobody can't listen to everything anymore. So I was trying that for a while, but it was just crazy. We, uh, we've spoken a lot about yeah. kind of what you've done more on the organizational end, on the business end, but you're also an artist. Um, you've put out three albums uh, yes. since 2005. Um, the first one you co-produced with Book of Shade. Um, the second one was with Thomas Schumacher. Yes. Um, and uh, the third most recent one in 2011, Pleasure Principle, um, you co-produced with Lopez. Yes. Uh, tell me about that co-production process. Walter was was is a full-blooded producer, and um, he at that time I was I was I was in, in a really early state 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 stage of producing, and I had to learn a lot, and I was learning a lot um, through sitting next to him for the first years, and um, it directly came came out that um, I love to use. I love to sample and I love to use samples and I love to give my productions a strong fingerprint through my samples. And um, I was doing that from from the first session I was doing with Walter. I always um, prepared myself with a lot of samples. Then I went into the studio with uh, the engineer. And um, so you could say in the average, my productions were always between 16 and 80% sample based. And um, that's, for example, why I I think I can say that because so many people gave me that feedback through the years that I managed to keep the fingerprint, um, although all, all these different engineers were, had very different ways of sounding and working. Like um, Walter and Schumacher, for example, were completely digital guys and Uh, Lopez is the opposite. He's he's the most analog guy you can imagine. But I never learned to produce myself. I I simply I always thought I would like to take that step too. But but it was always a lack of time and probably even a lack of passion for the technical side. Like I I have a lot of. Pe- uh, passion when it comes to creating a, cer- a certain sound and style and fingerprint in music but when it's coming to the pure technical side um, there's not enough uh, fascination and um, still I, I I'm in a really like I can do my own edits and stuff in Ableton but that's all you know mm. when you're working with these um, these other producers though yeah. who obviously have a lot of their own sound signature that they're bringing into play as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, the record still has your name on it. How do you sort of bring it, bring things over onto your side? Are you like the boss of the session? I mean, there's always a new chemistry. Some like uh, some of these guys are so used to to work on their own, and for some of them, it was also partly the f- first experiences to engineer somebody else that it can of course come come to early uh, in the early stages can come to conflicts about uh first you have to define the chemistry of your work like where where does my um how much influence um uh can can somebody have and and um 
and I can remember some really, really uh, difficult moments with uh, some of them. But yeah, in the end, I managed to come to a to a to a clear, uh, reliable chemistry with all of them. I want to I want to talk about your most recent project, yeah. um, which I think is really cool. Having the 25 years of DJing this year, I realized that a bit too late. I was like, oops, this year is 25, actually. When I start <laughs> counting from the first paid gigs, which were in 88, I started earlier. And I asked myself the question, when do I start counting, actually, to, to know when is my 25th? And I decided to, to start counting in the year where I had my first paid gigs and where everything was... was was uh progressing really quickly then and so so i decided to 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 do two things at the same time to follow the series of the compilation and to um um reflect the 25 years of djing with that and then i was thinking what's the best way to doing that with the compilation and then i had the idea to take one track per year um 1988 till 2013 the, the 25 years that's actually a concept that's that's so um so obvious if a dj celebrates an anniversary but as far as i can remember no uh, it was never done a compilation was never done with that concept so i really liked that idea and so i picked one track per year and did a lot of edits again and remasterings and yeah What was the process of choosing one track from each year? Was it just a matter of choosing a favorite or was there a subtler criteria? No, there were there were a few criteria. Um, so first, of course, it must have been an important track for me in this year. Second, um, I would like to present tracks to the people that still can be played in contemporary sets still can work in terms of the functionality also then i was trying to get tracks that were um, never digitally um, available before i didn't achieve um, that it was the case with all of them but but with the most of them um, so these were are the main criteria. When you when you got all of these tracks together and and you took a look at all of them, I mean, I'm sure that you saw quite a progression in music over this period of time. Um, I mean, it's probably a quite a broad thing to actually speak about, but I mean, over the 25 years of DJing, um, can you can you sort of describe generally what you saw happening? I mean, were, what were some of the big trends that came up? Um, over those 25 years that really surprised you maybe sometimes it's a it's uh when you look back then you then you see that um you can actually separate club music mainly in two different drawers um the the timeless stuff and the stuff that's really bound to a certain era and that was maybe fashion like a like a common thing that many many people could agree on for a certain time but it only belongs in that time and if you listen to it a few years later and you think it really only belonged in that time and 
it's it's a thing that that will never probably re be revived again because it so this is this is two main drawers that i always can can music put into uh, looking back you know and it's fascinating to 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 have this view um of course through working on such a project and i mean and that's why i why i love um for example the burkhain and the panorama was so much because the culture that is that is that that is whole oh, yeah hold in the air um and there uh, mainly through the choice of the resident djs and and uh, the djs who are booked there it's about timeless music it's about timeless house music disco music techno music it's about the heritage of detroit about the heritage of of early deep house and vocal house and and um i i so much appreciate that that they are um yeah that they're uh, supporting that culture over and over and, and and not going after trends and stuff you know and and we we had a we had a moment the last two years where we we had another um music that become kind of fashion like a kind of formula i'm always say you always um see when there's coming up a new style and certain uh, and 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 um then then there is maybe um a certain amount of people that can agree on that sound and then there is maybe one producer or dj taking it to a to another level and for example with all this 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 new kind of disco-ish r&b-ish deep house that was so popular the last two years you know um that was first coming up um with uh with uh the people around um wolf and lamb and soul club and then there was seth troxler to to work on the more dark side of that and then there were art department and their label coming up and and so suddenly there were so many people after the the domination of minimal that was happening for years before and much longer than i expected and i could i could with my experience i could already see like 100 i could have given you a contract to that it would go into the other extreme after that because that domination of minimal and and having no melodies and and no organic um approach more more this sterile kind of sounds and from my point of view not sexiness anymore and the uh, like when you come from afro american music then you have a different approach to grooves and stuff so i was clearly expecting a new wave a new renaissance of deep house and vocals and 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 disco discoish elements and it happened then like started like four years before three years before and then then you could could follow all these stages of that of that um process and then finally there were um 
there were new key figures jumping into that process, like Maceo Plex, for example, bringing that that music to a maximum formula. And suddenly there was this formula and everybody, like thousands of young producers were trying to reproduce that sound. And then there's always the same thing happening. It reaches this 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 critical mass. Yeah, it's like when, the pendulum swings to this yeah, point where there's yeah, a there's a formula yeah. and then it starts to swing in the other yeah. direction again. And then and then I already knew that that from a certain moment that this sound would would suffer the same uh, the same um the same destiny. Yeah. Like some other uh waves before um that, that it would get an overkill through through so many copycats jumping on the wagon and um and then then something happens also that is that is actually sad for the whole for the whole field of music because suddenly especially as a dj also when you listen to thousands of promos and demos and 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 uh your own sets and stuff and then you get bored by everything in that field suddenly because because the, this music has has certain elements in coming uh, in common and suddenly you you feel that even the good stuff starts to bore me because it sounds the, the same you know and so what happened um that's now the pendulum uh, like i just said is going in another direction uh, i'm again since the last six nine months into harder more technoish faster styles again and uh, so we are right in a transition phase again of club music and it's again exciting where, where which will be the new main movements that 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 that's going to in the next months you know You know 